Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, Dr. Leo Hetfield. It is so great to be with you once again online. Uh, will you please open up your Bible with me to the book of First Peter in the New Testament? Um, and can I just say, if you have a family member or a flatmate next to you on the couch without their Bible, I'm sanctioning you in this moment to just turn around and just give them the stink eye. Um, okay, so maybe don't do that, but let's have our Bibles with us so we can be rooted in the Word, because we've started a brand new sermon series just last week called Rooted Hope, Our New Normal. You see, about 25 years after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the church was facing a very tough new normal. Uh, The Roman Emperor Nero had started brutally um, persecuting the church, and so he drove them out of their homes and scattered them all over Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And so one of Jesus' 12 disciples, Peter, he writes these two letters to encourage this church that's had their whole world turned upside down, just like ours in this moment. And he wants to instill hope in them once again. And he doesn't want to speak about cheap hope or just wishful thinking or being unaware of what's going on in the world around you, but he wants to bring them deep-rooted, Jesus-centered hope. And so what he wants to say to them and what I want to say to us today, once again, as Dr. David Hadfield, this is not a time for us to become armchair critics of the government, to become anemic in our faith, to become silent partners of the church or socially distant from one another in relationship. But this is a time for us to be re-established, to be re-rooted in Christ identity, Christ community, and Christ activity. So let's jump in, and last week we saw, as Peter opened this letter, how he came to refocus, to reroute people's attention, the whole church, not around themselves, their own situation or their own activities, but to God, saying, pull your eyes to where he is. Look at what he has done faithfully in the past, what he is continuing to do in your present, and what he will bring to fulfillment in the future. He says, because if you focus on that, if you root yourself in that, then you will have an identity that's rooted in unbreakable hope. And so today we're going to see, as he now builds on that foundation, Peter is going to go forward and he is going to challenge the church. How do we respond in a moment such as this? So read with me, 1 Peter 1 verse 13. It says, therefore, with your minds ready for action, Be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Peter comes out guns blazing. He says, make sure that you are ready for action. And the Greek here for this phrase, having your minds ready for action, is literally to gird your loins. Now, that's not a phrase that we use very often, um, or at least I hope not. That's going to sound like French to most people. But In their context, maybe you've heard that phrase, to gird your loins. In the time that Peter lived, men used to wear these kind of robe-like, dress-like robes, and they would go all the way to your ankles. And so obviously, um, you know, if you had to, in a moment, suddenly do some strenuous activity or move in in an agile way, you couldn't do that. So if you were suddenly attacked or you had to be ready for action, someone was coming to oppose you, 
what the men would do is they would take these robes and they would tuck them into their belts. They would gird their loins. So Peter is saying we have to be ready in our stance or the enemy is going to make easy pickings of you. You know, in Shay and I, the first ever flat that we lived in, uh, one evening, early in our stay there, the alarm goes off and we in a panic and then suddenly we hear plates kind of rumbling around in the kitchen. So I was freaked out. So I get up and as I'm kind of walking out to the kitchen and, you know, just to cut the atmosphere with a knife here, in the end, it was a cat that jumped into one of the windows and was making trouble. And we know that cats are the devil. The Bible says that you can go and search for it on your own. So it's just a cat. But as I'm walking out in that moment, man, I realize I don't have my contacts in. I'm in my boxer briefs and I don't have anything in my hand to protect myself with. So I am not ready for action. I'm going to be easy pickings for whoever is coming into our house. Peter is saying in this moment, many of us during the lockdown, during this moment of being scattered and isolated, we've chosen to take a back seat, to take a step back in our faith, to take a bit of a break from the church, to just kind of wait it out, to take a posture of survival. And Peter is saying, no, don't do that. He's saying, roll up the sleeves of your mind and get ready for action. And just to drive the point home even further, he uses a second picture. He says they be sober-minded. And obviously he's speaking about the all-too-real reality of drunkenness. So last year, on um, Christmas Eve, our family went to one of the parks in Brooklyn just to have a good time and celebrate. And while we were there, there was this couple, and the guy was not just a bit drunk, he was drunk out of his mind. And it was so intense to see our kids for the first time in their life being confronted with this because they saw this guy not in the normal way of his living and doing. He, he couldn't stand up straight. He was, he was vomiting all over himself. He was unstable and it, it really rocked them. I could see it was difficult for them to observe this. You know, on our, on our way back in the car, we didn't have to do much speaking about alcohol and its dangers if you overuse it because they were just like, whatever this man is drinking, we don't want any of it. But it's almost as if Peter is saying that in this moment of lockdown, of of difficulty that we can so easily fall into, it's not a time to be numb to what's going on around you, to medicate yourself out of the moment. But he says, be present, be ready for action. So in other words, it's almost like Peter is saying, yes, it is true that in this moment, there is opposition. It is difficult. It is in lockdown. We are oppressed a bit and scattered and isolated. But he is saying, sober up spiritually. Roll up the sleeves of your mind and get ready for action. Why? Because God has a purpose for you in this season. God is still working on our identity and our character. He still has a calling for you and for us collectively as a church in lockdown, in the new normal. So what does that look like? As Peter kind of unwraps some of this, he says there are three things, three characteristics of people who have got a mind for action in the new normal. But for the sake of time today, I want to look at just two of those. Peter's saying that people who are ready for action in this new normal, they think differently about their conduct and they think differently about their community. Differently about their conduct and differently about their communities. Let's look at that first one. People with an action mind in this new normal think differently about their conduct. Read with me in verse 14. Peter says, as obedient children, 
do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. But as the one who called you is holy, you are also to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy. Why? Because I am holy, God says. So Peter says that Christians, if you are a Christ follower, if Christ has changed your heart, transformed you on the inside, you know that God has saved you from a former ignorance. You used to base your life like I did on the scoreboard of the world. Those things that the world said bring you identity and purpose and worth. Those were the things that I built and based my life on. So whether it's, you know, your sexual escapades or the accolades you get through work or your circle of influence or the person next to your side or what you can accomplish or pedigree, those were the things that actually gave you standing in society. That is this former ignorance, what you based your life on. That is the narrative of our society. You know, I think of probably one of the most prominent and successful hip-hop artists of our time, Drake, uh, not too long ago in an interview. He said, there was a point where I felt like I needed to keep the company of a different woman every night. I was trying to fill a void. But in this In those moments after sex, I'd know that it wasn't working. Those quiet moments are the realest moments a man will ever have in his life. The next day, I'd convince myself to do it again. But during that time, I knew it wasn't working. Or not too long ago, Katy Perry celebrated a sales milestone on Instagram, and she simply wrote this. She said, 100 million digital sales and still insecure not addressing that identity that we are all seeking for. You know, Shane and I, we recently finished the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance, and we thoroughly enjoyed it. It was so great. But I mean, here's a guy who was and is the best ever in his field. He's the first ever sportsman to get to a, to a billion dollars in personal wealth. And yet, you see this man who's conquered the mountain of his sector And in these interviews with him, you don't see this fulfillment, but you see still this this inner turmoil. You see this unsatisfactory kind of look um, to to those around him, still wanting to prove himself, still, still wanting to show others that he's the best. There's this restlessness still in his heart. You see, that's the narrative of the world. Look to these things around you and base your life on them. Find your identity, your worth, your purpose. Find it in them. Peter says, we know if you've really experienced the grace and the love and the truth of Jesus in your heart, you know that that is the former ignorance that we've been saved from. But now this is important. Please listen. Peter says, and he he goes on and he acknowledges the fact that during a moment like this, during lockdown, during, you know, being scattered and isolated, he says, it's so easy for us to go back to that old way of thinking and worshiping, that old way of doing. So, you know, when I got my first puppy, uh, my parents bought for me, it was a a golden retriever, such a beautiful dog. You know, that, that little puppy could do nothing wrong. It was like an angel with fur. And that image of mine as a young boy was shattered this one evening because this dog had eaten something strange, and I'm trying to figure out what's wrong with this, this poor little pup. And suddenly this dog vomits like twice its own volume. It feels like it all over 
the floor. And I am horrified as a young child. I'm like, what is going on with this dog? So I'm at like a nine and a half out of 10, but just being freaked out. And you would think, as I thought in that moment, that this dog would now obviously try and get away from all of this gross, you know, sorry for the picture, but this vomit. And some of you know where this is going, but what does the dog do? No, it in fact goes back and it eats its own vomit. Can you believe that? I mean, I was like at a nine and a half out of 10. That took me to like a 17 and a half out of 10. I couldn't believe it, that it would go back to something so destructive. And Peter's saying, I acknowledge the fact that very often that narrative of the world, those things of former ignorance that we used to build our lives on in this moment of being shaken, in this moment of lockdown, of pressure, it's so easy to go back to those thoughts, back to those actions, back to that way of worshiping the things that the world worships. But Peter comes in and he interjects and he says, no, that's not what we are committing to in the season. He says, no, we want to be holy in our conduct. We want to be holy in every single thing that we do. Now, holiness is not a word that we use often. It's a very churchy kind of word. But holy simply means to be separate from the norm, to be completely different. And so this is not something that we just do. This is something that God is. God reveals himself to us as the ultimate, the transcendent Holy One. He is completely separate and different in who he is. So when God encounters Moses in the burning bush in Exodus 3, 5, he says to him, remove the sandals from your feet. Why? For the the place where you are standing is what? It's holy ground. Where God is, it's holy. When Jesus meets this demon-possessed man in Luke 4, 34, The demon-possessed man says to him, leave us alone. Why? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. God is holy. He's completely different from the norm. And Jesus comes to reveal God in his fullness to us. He's the clearest picture that we have of God, and he's called the Holy One. And so God says, I want you in this season not to fall back into old ways of worshiping and thinking and doing. I want you to be in step with me as I am holy. That's how I have recreated you in salvation to be holy. I don't want you to be in step with the world. I want you to be in step with me. And that's a question that I need to ask maybe myself in this season. Um, As the pressure has been put on, maybe a bit of self-reflection, asking the Holy Spirit to just examine my heart in the season, to ask the question, am I in step with God And am I out of step with the world, with the world's agenda, with the world's identity, with the world's rat race, with the world's way of thinking? So maybe an example, the question, am I out of step financially with the world? Am I out of step financially with the world? Friends, this is the truth. If you were to actually do what God calls us to do with our finances, that which he has entrusted to us to steward, not to own, but to steward, there's a chance, I'm not saying it will be that way, but there's a chance that you are going to be two or three steps behind the people that earn what you earn. You see, in a world that's ridden with credit card debt, in a world that says your dignity is based on what you drive and what you wear and the house that you live in, 
in a world dominated by self-centered spending, if we were to actually take up God's calling with finances and to, to save and to give generously to the church, to bless those in, in a self-sacrificing way around us and the poor and friends and family that need help, if we were to do those things, there's a good chance that you will not be wearing the clothes that others are wearing. You might not be living in the house that others are living in. You might not be driving the car that others are driving that make the same amount as you because there's a separateness. I, I look at the Bible and I look at what the, what the Spirit is saying to me and I think, God, I know that you've given me these finances to enjoy, but I'm also going to invest into eternity. That's my mindset. You know, this portion that Peter is quoting from in Leviticus, when it speaks about holiness, God actually called the Israelites to not harvest the edges of their crops, their fields, because he wanted them to leave it as such so that when the poor came past, they would be able to take from this and feed themselves. Now, no one else in the ancient Near East during that time would do that. Because all these farmers, as any good businessman, they would want to wring out the very last cent from their crops. But God did not want the Israelites to be just the norm. He wanted them to be separate from. He wanted them to be holy. So that when people from other nations were to walk past these fields of the Jewish, the Israelite people, they would ask them, why are you not harvesting the edges of your field? And they would be able to say, because we serve a God who sides himself with the poor, who cares for the poor, and therefore we are doing the same. Holiness. And I can ask myself the same question. Am I out of step sexually with the world? Am I out of step emotionally with the world? Am I out of step politically with the world? Because it's not an issue of preference. It's not just simply my actions. It's an issue of worship. What is most important in my heart? I love how Paul puts it in Romans 12, this famous portion of scripture. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God. Just stay there for a moment. Just stop. He isn't saying we will do these things. We will commit to be. We will live to be. We will react with holiness, so that God would love us. You know, if we walk the straight and narrow, if we good religious moral people, then God will be impressed and accept us and love us. He will repay us. No, it's saying in view of the mercy of God, when I see God in Jesus Christ, the ultimate holy one, come in love for me to this earth, for us to free us, redeem us. It's in view of that mercy that I accept as a free gift that stirs my heart. And then he says, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and the perfect will of God. See, just because we are not gathering in a building and singing on a Sunday morning together. It doesn't mean that we cannot worship. That's but one element of our worship. Dr. Hatfield, this passage is saying we can passionately worship as a church in this season 
when we conduct ourselves, our reaction is not that of the world. Our reaction is saying, God, I want to honor you in everything. I'm not going to go back. Even when the pressure is on, even when there's isolation, even when we are scattered, I want to live for the Holy One in holiness. Peter is saying people of action in a new normal, they think differently about their conduct. But he says they also think differently about their community. So read with me here. Verse 22, he says, Since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other, from a pure heart, love one another constantly, because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. See, Peter's saying when the going really gets tough for the church, when we are scattered and persecuted, when, when the pandemic hits, when the global recession launches, we don't scatter into isolated relationships. He says, no, the church comes together even stronger in relationship. We band Together, I think the picture of this for, for me is that um, of the, the king penguins in Antarctica. And it's amazing. These are some of the toughest animals because when the going really gets tough, when it goes to minus 20 degrees Celsius in Antarctica, and I know some of you are thinking that's pretty much what Pretoria has been like over the last few days, but this is actual cold. When that happens, these penguins band Together, they form these massive uh, huddles. And it's so amazing when you actually watch these as a time lapse, you will see how these penguins actually swap out the, the, the outer rim of these huddles for the inside. They are constantly rotating. And the reason is because they can actually take what is minus 20 degrees on the outside and they can transform that with their body heat to 37 degrees Celsius on the inside of that huddle. Can you imagine that? Just the absolute change of atmosphere because they are, they are taking it on together. Now, can you imagine that if some of these penguins, one or two of them decided, well, you know, things are tough. I'm just going to go at it myself. They are dead in the water. It's almost like Peter is saying in this moment, some of us have decided to take a step back from community, to take a step back from relationship. To kind of negotiate the church and the people of God. And he is saying, no, don't do that. Because you are making yourself easy pickings for the enemy. This is not a time to, to stand you know, in isolation, even though we are isolated. It's a time through the use of technology, through every means that we have to stand together. And yes, I know the, the technology isn't ideal. I'm as tired and as frustrated as you are with Zoom meetings and WhatsApp and, and all these different things. But this is a season to say, God, because you are mighty in what you do through your people, I am committing even with those frustrations. And so I want to challenge us. Some of these key moments, don't take a step back. I think for some of us, if you are able, unless you are working at that time, unless there's a good reason, unless you are unable to get to it, don't negotiate a Sunday morning at nine o'clock. Be with us. Don't just be present. Be engaged. Comment. Say hello. Throw a couple of hearts into the conversation. Make your voice heard in that time. This is a moment for us to stand together. Or community groups. 
I know once again, it's not always easy. We are struggling with technology and data and, and hearing each other. But let's commit to be those small families that God has called us to be. We are going to be launching new community groups very soon. And I want to challenge some of us that, that have been at this point still kind of in the frame of mind that, you know, if, if it looks like the water is just right, then I'll, I'll dip my toe in. And I want to challenge us. God is going to do tenfold what he can do in you individually when you are willing to put yourself in the place of community. I just think of the testimonies that we've heard from our, our pod groups, just this temporary vehicle that we had, just a one to three kind of grouping. And I've had two people literally burst into tears as they just tell me of what God has been doing through his word and his spirit as they've been journeying with two or three other people. Now, not everyone might have experienced that, but it's incredible to hear because we are committing to something, not because it's valuable up front, but as we commit, it becomes valuable to us. Can I challenge us to be present, to be engaged? Don't take a step back. Take a step forward. I love always what Jesus says in John 13, 34. He says, I give you a new command. Love one another. And this is important. He says, just as I have loved you. It's not something we do because we have to out of routine, out of religiosity, out of a guilty conscience. No, it's because Jesus is doing something in our hearts. And now we can, we can perpetuate that in one another's lives. He says, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And by this, he says, by this common love, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And friends, I want to be, be open and say, I know that for some of you, the trouble has started long before the lockdown. Your marriage is under massive pressure. Your job has been an uphill battle for you. Your emotional health has really been straining over the season. And now all that's happened in lockdown is you've just isolated yourself even further. But I want to challenge you in love to say, come on, take a step into the huddle. Because as these penguins, they heat each other up, I want to say that the spiritual and emotional heat of the church, the passion of the church, the thriving health of the church will be in community together. And the beautiful thing is it's not just spiritual and emotional, but it's practical. It's been incredible to see how the church has been a vehicle for practical love and care in one another's lives. You know, we started this fund early in the lockdown called Hope, Help Our People Eat. And eventually we expanded it to more than just food, but it's been incredible to see how we have loved each other financially investing into this fund. So over the last 10 weeks, we've been consistently um, able to help five families and more than 13 individuals with, with food, with toiletries. We've been able to help some of the families buy the basic clothes for their kids in winter time. We've been able to help certain individuals with a bit of their rent and their traveling costs to get back into the workforce. This is the love of God between his people. In fact, we actually have received the equivalent of 67% of our monthly budget on top of our normal giving exclusively for hope. And we've been able to serve the people of Hatfield. That is love. This is how we will know. When the church huddles together, people will know this is who their king and their savior is. And I think it's just so beautiful that it's, it's also the foundation that we do this from. Why do we do this? Listen to what Peter says in verse 23. He says, it's because you have been born again. 
That's the reason. That's the foundation. That's the source. It's because Christ has been so good to us. That's the reason that I, you know, I experience His grace and His love. And because of that, I can be gracious. I can be forgiving to some of the outbursts and some of the frustrations that we have amongst one another. We can be gracious to each other. We can think the best of each other. We can give each other the benefit of the doubt. We can forgive when we've wronged each other. Why? Because Jesus has done abundantly more for us. And even more, the source of our love is not each other exclusively. You see, when I build my life on you, then I'm not loving you, I'm using you. It's, it's codependence. I need you to be fulfilled. And when that happens in church, it's destructive. My identity is built on you. And then I'm not loving you, I'm using you. But God comes to be our fulfillment. You are not my full fulfillment. God is my fulfillment. Therefore, I can love you and be loved and not use you. Now, Peter says people of action in the new normal, they think differently about their conduct and they think differently about their community. Now, let me end off. Maybe just the question, why, why would we change? Why would we say yes for this? Is it simply because we are gritting our teeth? We have to try harder, be better. When we are done today, you just say, man, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to get myself back into the spiritual race. I don't think that is the best of ideas. Listen to what Peter says in these last verses, verse 24. He says, all flesh, human life is like grass and all its glory, like a flower of the grass, the grass withers and the flower falls. He says, our lives, our society even is like grass. It's here today and it's, it's gone the next. I think especially in this time, we've seen how fragile our own health, our planning, our society, all of these things, it's so fragile. And that has led some of us out of a place of fear to now try and respond and say, God, you know, if you fix this, if you rescue my business, if you, if you can help in this place, then I will do. I, I will make right. But I want to challenge us. Fear is not a good motivator. What brings you into the church will keep you in the church. If fear brings you into the church, fear will have to keep you there. If entertainment has brought you into the church, you will have to be entertained forever. But listen what Peter says. He says it's not fear or guilt or entertainment. This is what drives us, leads us to change. Verse 13, therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely, what? On the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, for you know that you were redeemed, verse 18. You were rescued, restored from your empty way of life. How? With the precious blood of Christ. Yes, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. What God has spoken in Jesus over your life endures forever. And he says, this word is the gospel, the good news that was proclaimed to you. See, Peter is saying there's a massive difference between good advice and good news. See, advice in the season of isolation and tension and pressure will say, you know, here's the technique. You know, just give more, pray more, attend more. Um, you know, just make sure that you are doing X, Y, and Z. And then if you do it right, you will find inner peace. Advice is something that you hear and you can go and apply. And if you apply it correctly, maybe it'll help you. 
But Peter says, we didn't bring you advice. We proclaimed good news to you. The gospel is news. News is something that happens outside of your control. It's true. It's happened. And everything is different because of it. And you need to respond to it. Peter says the good news is not that we figured it out, that we became good people, you know, that we started going to church and, and just turning over a new leaf in life. No, he says in this moment, it's true that Jesus is the perfect picture of the holiness and the love of God on display in human history. God comes and he steps into human history in the person of Jesus Christ and he confronts our pain. He confronts us going back to those old ways of thinking and doing. He confronts our brokenness and our rebellion. He confronts the enemy that oppresses us. He confronts the sin that controls us and he defeats it. He frees us. He brings us redemption. And now he says, react to that. Turn yourself in mind, in worship, in life completely and set your hope on that grace. Because when you do that, that will melt your heart. It's not fear. It's not religiosity. It's not routine. It's grace. And when that melts your heart, you will say, God, where you are, I want to be. If you are holiness, God, that's what I want. If you place us in community, God, that's where I want to be. The question for us in this moment is simply this. Is God useful to me or is he beautiful to me? Is God just useful? You know, I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a rut here. This is a difficult moment. God, if you can help me, then I will get what I actually want, my true God. Or is he beautiful to me? God, when I see you on the cross for us, for your glory, it's beautiful. And it makes me say, God, I want to conduct myself for you. I want to be with your people because where you are, I want to be. Let's pray together. Jesus, I just pray for my own heart this morning. And I pray for every person in Hatfield that we would be so captivated by your grace and your love. God, that you will free us in this moment from our former ignorance and that we will have such a passion to live a life that's separate and that we would love one another. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.